Welcome back to Talking Dairy, where we explore the topics most on the minds of Kiwi dairy farmers. Last week, the government released its proposal for how it plans to price agricultural emissions. So what does the proposal mean for dairy farmers? How does it differ to what the sector, through her waka ekanoa, recommended to the government earlier this year? And will the government's plan lead to reductions in methane and without significantly affecting farmers, businesses and the New Zealand economy? My name's Ben Chapman-Smith, and today I'm joined by Dairy NZ Strategy and Investment Leader Bruce Thorold, who will explain the government's proposal, how it stacks up, and what it really means for dairy farmers. Let's get into it. Thanks for joining us today, Bruce. So the government has now considered the sector's recommended approach to emissions pricing, and has come back with its own proposal. At face value, it looks like they've taken on board some of what the sector asked for, but there are also some fairly significant changes. Are we happy with where things have landed? Ben, if we look at the package as a whole, and we've got to think of it as a whole, the package is not acceptable to DairyNZ in its current form. What the government has come back to us on significantly fails in two important pillars of the Haywaka package. So what are those changes, Bruce? Well, the two main areas that we're not happy with are around sequestration, And we know that sequestration is really important in terms of its impact on the equity of this proposal across the sector. And equity was one of our foundation pillars and the way in which the government has greatly reduced the credits available to farmers for sequestration cuts across that equity. What do you mean by equity? By equity, I mean fairness to all farmers across the pastoral sector. We've done a great job as a sector in working together you know, with government and Māori as well to come up with a proposal that everybody supported. And uh, we need to maintain that equity and that feeling of fairness across the sector to keep everybody on board. So equity and sequestration are the first issue. The second issue, Ben, is around the governance and the uh, ongoing management of the implementation of this program. As the, the partnership put up a complete package in which government and the sector and Maori work together to oversee the implementation of this project, to guide the strategy of how revenue was invested and, and to look at the revenue and, and manage that, and to give ministers advice on pricing. And from our perspective, this was critical in terms of the likely effectiveness of the program. You know, it's not just to have a scheme to implement, it's to be successful implementing that scheme out to 2030. The sector has displayed a commitment to these targets simply by putting the proposal, uh, the recommendations forward. And our view was if we we're going to be successful in achieving the implementation, we wanted to be closely involved. And what the government has come back with moves us from a position of, of strong influence and strong commitment to a position merely of advising government and standing in a queue with others, including the Climate Change Commission, to have our say. Bruce, what are the biggest areas of concern from your perspective? The next area, and it's a bit of a subset of the governance question, Ben, is price setting. So in the proposal that the Haywaka Partners put forward, we said that the price for emissions should be set on progress towards the targets, it should be set on social implications. It should be set on the cost and availability of technology and the impacts of any change on production and emissions leakage. The government has come back and said that they only want to focus on emissions reduction and the trajectory. 
And our view is that that's not sufficient in terms of an equitable pricing regime. What is the government's proposal for how emissions should be priced? The government has agreed with the overall proposal we put forward, which is that all emissions should be priced at a single price, effectively a low price, and that that money should be collected together and then used to incentivise change with those farmers for whom it's possible and are willing and can do it at the lowest cost for the sector as a whole. So that kind of super collective still stands. And the setting of the price, you know, one of the elements is how much money is required to achieve those emissions reductions. The point we're making is that in our recommendations, we said you can't just go off that price, you know, the the trajectory or the emissions reduction. You've got to consider these wider factors as well. And the government has rejected those wider factors. Are there any positives in the government's proposal? The good news is that there are substantial elements of the government's proposal which have accepted and reinforced their Haywaka recommendations. At a high level, they have supported the whole kind of sector collective nature that we put through, you know, all farmers uh, in together. Everybody has agreed that agriculture being in the ETS is the worst of all possible scenarios. That's a huge reinforcement of our view. And if I kind of drop down to some lower levels, the government has concluded that the method we have proposed to reduce emissions will work. You know, the idea that everybody chips into a pool of funding and that funding is then used to reduce emissions on those farms who are best able to do that at least cost to the whole sector. So they've endorsed that approach, huge uh, step forward. They've accepted the split gas. They've accepted a farm level. They've accepted incentives for action. They've accepted the idea of recycling revenue inside the sector to make the gains and at least in principle, but not in substance, accepted additional sequestration. So those are all fantastic endorsements of the work that's been done, but it's not enough. Talking about nitrogen fertiliser, I see the government's put two options on the table. What are those options and what are the pros and cons of each for dairy farmers? Put simply, one option is that the emissions from nitrogen fertiliser are counted like everything else at farm level, and the second is that they are counted at processor or importer level. So DRNZ view is that we should do everything at farm level. That gives every farmer clarity on uh, the emissions that they are producing or or involved in and an ability to act uh, around those. The important thing is if it's at farm level, then you count it for your farm. Uh, If it's a processor level, I'll just send you a bill. How will farmers claim rebates under the government's proposal? Yeah, under the government's proposal, this is not as good for cash flow as the Haywalker proposal. And our recommendations, we basically said that a farmer every year would put in a net return. So what are their emissions? Less their incentives for the actions they've taken, uh, less any sequestration, and they'd pay a net figure. Uh, Under the government's proposal, you pay for your emissions and then you go through a process to claim a rebate, which you will receive after some time, I'm sure, for your actions and, and your sequestration. So more process and poorer cash flow. What about pricing incentives? I know that was really important, obviously, to a lot of farmers. Has anything changed in that space? As far as we can see at the moment, the government has endorsed that approach, that the revenue we collect will be used to incentivize farmers to use technology to drive their emissions down. 
So earlier you, you touched on changes to sequestration, which is an important mechanism for farmers to use to help offset emissions. The government has accepted some, but not all of the recommendations around this. Can you talk about that? And what's the impact of the changes? So sequestration has been a really important principle for farmers, that if they're going to be charged for all their emissions, then they want to be credited for all their other actions that are positive. And uh, there's no doubt that increasing the amount of carbon that's tied up in permanent vegetation is a, an important part of reducing uh, net emissions and the warming effect of all actions. In order to recognise those activities on farms, the partnership put up a pretty comprehensive list of genuine and additional sequestration categories. And these included things like small woodlots, uh, less than a hectare in size, which aren't eligible for the emissions trading scheme, included new plantings of native vegetation for biodiversity or just enhancement, again at a scale that wouldn't meet the ETS threshold, included improving the management of remnant vegetation, so fencing, pest control, it included riparian planting. So you know, if you look around your farm, you know, all the areas in which you're improving the stock of carbon on your farm through new plantings or, or management and going back in time to plantings that have been in place. Originally, we thought 2008, but farmers clearly said to us, we need to go back further than that, you know, where people have done a lot of planting. So all of those were in scope. And we recognise that you know, there were issues with data and, and auditing and these things, but, but we felt they were important and they were in scope for the scheme. We also had a first cut at estimating the sequestration rates. So how many tonnes of carbon per hectare per year do these sorts of vegetation or these sorts of management increase to your carbon stock? Because clearly you know, it's not enough to have them recognised as being a good thing. We want to account for them in a quantitative sense. That was the recommendation we put up and what the government has come back with has much reduced the scope. So we're down now to uh, riparian plantings and to improve management of existing native vegetation. So only two out of six or eight classes of vegetation are going to be counted. And from what we can see in the recommendations, limiting the carbon sequestration quantity to half a tonne of carbon a year. And that really gets it down to pretty low margins and pretty low returns. So that's very disappointing from our perspective that farmers have done and continue to do a lot of planting, which is genuinely sequestering carbon and not to have it counted is not good enough. Sequestration is particularly important for sheep and beef farmers because you know, on average, they tend to have uh, large areas of existing remnant native vegetation more land which is of low productivity and suited to be planted up in new plantations and not necessarily ETS scale plantations, you know, but woodlots or plantings in, in smaller areas. But there are plenty of dairy farmers as well who have land like that or who've done a lot of planting. So yeah, the sheep and beef farmers feel it the most, but it's an issue that affects plenty of dairy farmers too. Bruce, the government's proposed a processor level levy as a backstop to implement in 2023 if they can't implement the farm level levy. What does this mean and are you concerned about it? Yeah, we are concerned about this. Everybody has agreed that we should be at farm level. The sector, the government, farmers themselves. Farmers have said to us, oh, I need to know what's happening on my farm. I need to know what my levers are and the incentives I get that I can pick up and relate to my own management. So everybody's agreed on that and we've agreed to implement at farm scale. Now, the timelines on this are challenging 
if you think about 12,000 dairy farms and as many sheep and beef farms, you know, 25,000 farmers to be on the system and reporting and filing returns by 1st of January 2025 is a hell of a mission. Our view is that we all want to go to a farm level, so let's not collect a processor levy for a year or two and have to do all the setting up of that and dismantling of that just because the timelines are challenging. The government is proposing them, well, let's see them commit to actually delivering that. And if, as is quite possible, it's not possible to deliver a quality job on the 1st of January 2025, then there should be some kind of delay to implementation. I mean, not to data recording and not necessarily to payment, but a delay to implementation that transitions us into farm level, not a side tour through processor to get there. I understand that the government's modelling shows its proposed approach will lead to a 4% reduction in milk solids production. It doesn't sound like a good outcome for farmers or the economy. We're still digging into the depths of what the government has modelled to really understand that. But we should remember that our own modelling has shown that this is going to come at a cost to farmers and is quite likely to lead to some hopefully small decrease in milk solids output in order to achieve an emissions reduction. And some of that depends on the technology that's available and the way land use change and other things happen. Our own modelling has shown that. Uh, We're obviously working very hard on technologies to break that link so that we can achieve our targets even at some cost without dropping production. We shouldn't be surprised that the government modelling has shown similar trends. In fact, their modelling supports the conclusions we came to. Their modelling shows bigger impacts because they have assumed more change, they've assumed more levy, and they've assumed more impact on the sector. But their modelling also shows emissions reductions that go above the target that Haywalker is aimed at achieving, which is its contribution to the 10% methane reduction in the pastoral sector by 2030. We should certainly be concerned about the government modelling, but we should see it in the context of it's the total package of results it's producing and how that relates to our modelling and to the targets. Is there any chance at all that agriculture could still end up in the ETS? Everybody has agreed that the ETS is the worst place to be. The only way in which we would end up in the ETS, I think, is if this whole proposal was scrapped. That leads on to, I suppose, the next question. What happens if the politicians and farmers can't find a compromise that everyone can work with? Because that initial Hewaka proposal, there was a certain amount of industry and political acceptance of it, right? Well, the recommendations that Haywalker put in were the sector's recommendations. So the sector and and Maori, and with the involvement of government, we worked up a set of recommendations that we all supported. And what we have now in terms of the government from is their proposal, which, as we've discussed, has many of our elements, but fails on those two key equity and effectiveness pillars. What happens next ultimately is a government decision. They have the proposal out, they write the regulations, and obviously our aim in the next six weeks is to go back to the government and solve these issues and be very clear on what we need and very clear on how we want it to happen. After that, it is in the hands of the government to regulate and ultimately to have the responsibility for this happening. So that's what's happening over the next six weeks, industry is responding to this proposal. We have a consultation period, which opened last week, so six weeks from last week, 
And in that time, the Haywalker partners will be working together and we're going to be out on the road and online talking with farmers about what's in the proposal and what our um, response is going to be as we work that up. And then the government releases its final decision December, is that right? Mid-December, I think, yes. So uh, at the end of the six-week consultation period, that's the end of that, and then we wait until December, or is there something else that happens in between? Well, I'm sure that if the government acts in the spirit of partnership which has got us this far, that they will continue to discuss with us, but... The reality is that this goes back inside their machine and it's their job as officials and elected representatives in the government to deliver the final result. Okay, thanks Bruce. Any final thoughts? So I've spent two and a half years as part of the steering group that's developed this and it's been a really challenging and rewarding experience to work with the sector and to produce those recommendations that we did. And we were very pleased to have got to a set of recommendations that we genuinely believed were fair and and effective across the sector. So while it is uh, encouraging that the government has supported many of the positions we got to, it's really disappointing that on those key areas they've come back with something which just isn't good enough in terms of solving this problem, getting emissions reductions down, keeping farming and, and the sector as important parts of the economy and as individual businesses. But the nature of this sort of engagement is we don't stop now, we don't give up now. We go back with a strong argument as to why these things are important and a way in which they can be delivered with both government and sector support. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Talking Dairy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, go to dairynz.co.nz forward slash podcast or find us on your favourite podcast platforms.